Hello, everybody. I'm Lindsay Zarniak. And I'm MJ Acosta Ruiz. Today on On Her Turf at the Olympics, we will talk with American archer Mackenzie Brown, who competed for bronze earlier today. Also, one of the most important conversations we will have on this show, journalist Brittany De La Creta and professional triathlete Rach McBride, they join us to discuss the three trans athletes who are competing in Tokyo, as well as how sports can be more inclusive for trans athletes. This podcast is presented by Nordatrack from iFit. We're now joined by Mackenzie Brown. Mackenzie, thanks so much for being here with us on her turf at the Olympics. Take us to middle school, Mackenzie, when you were first introduced to archery. Um, I was first introduced uh, to archery when I was 10 in fifth grade, and we had a... Um, a program in school where you could shoot during uh, PE or you could shoot uh, after school. And then we had a program um, where you went to the state tournament at the end of the year um, in Texas. And I finished in first um, in that in my age division and my score uh, against even the older kids was in first. So um had a had a knack for it at the very beginning and uh, really enjoyed it and just kept with it. Can you take us through the the process of what it's like when you're in the moment and what it is that you love so much about it? Yeah, um, being in the moment is is great to me, and it, it's just knowing that all of the hard work that I've put in is coming to into real life. Um, there's all this stuff that we do, you know, day to day that a lot of people don't see. A lot of people don't see how much effort we put in. Um, you know, the games is every four years to the public for us. It's every day. Um, it's how can we get those gains in between, um, each tournament? How can we get better? Um, and so I, I just think that, um, that that's, that's the, the the thing about it is just honing my skill and just feeling fully myself up on the line is when I'm at my best, just having fun. Um, if you watch the videos back, you can see I'm laughing and joking with my coach um, and just enjoying myself out there. And um, that's being in the zone for me. So you also competed in Archery's brand new mixed gender team event. What was that experience like? Uh, that experience was really nice. Um, obviously, it didn't end the way that we wanted to. Uh, me and Brady have shot together since 2013 as a mixed team. Um, we've shot in multiple World Cups um, and done very well. We've got two gold medals and multiple other medals, and um, we're a really strong team together. The way it worked out in that finals uh, match was just unfortunate um but it was it's so much fun it's one of my favorite things to do is shoot mixed team um because i'm not only trying to beat the other team with my teammate i'm also trying to beat my teammate because i just have that <laughs> that instinct inside to like i want to beat all the guys because i think that they're the best as far as um the scores that they shoot um and so i want to be the best period not just the best female. Exactly. And you've accomplished that, beating the guys. Thank you for joining us, Mackenzie. We really appreciate you. We'll be back with more of the On Her Turf podcast after this. 
Welcome back to On Her Turf at the Olympics. A beautiful shot of that Tokyo skyline at dusk. Absolutely gorgeous, right? Doesn't look real. It does not. <laughs> We're excited to be tackling a topic very important at these Olympic Games and all others, frankly. While transgender women have been eligible to participate at the Olympics since 2004, New Zealand weightlifter Laurel Hubbard is set to become the first transgender woman to compete at the Games next week. Yeah, so ahead of Hubbard's Olympic debut, the International Olympic Committee, International Weightlifting Federation, and New Zealand Olympic Committee, they held a joint press event to discuss the topic of transgender inclusion at the Olympics. Can you explain just the basis of the current IOC framework to us when it comes to the eligibility of transgender athletes? The basis of it is that balance between inclusion, safety and fairness and making sure that we hit that as a being called sweet spot between those three. Can you give us an idea of the complexities in measuring fairness? It's extremely difficult because there is a lot of science that's available um, comparing, for example, cisgender uh, men, that's men who are born as men and identify as, as men, with cisgender women. There's ver relatively little scientific material that, that's available around trans athletes and trans women athletes. So. We do the best that we can based on the available information and constantly reviewing the situation, understanding that science is constantly developing. And you've been in contact with Laurel herself recently. Can you give us an idea of how she's feeling going into the Games? She's in good shape, she's excited and she's incredibly grateful to the IOC for opening a pathway for people like you to compete at the Games. So yeah, she's good, she's looking forward to it. All right, in addition to Hubbard, at least two other trans and non-binary athletes are competing at the Tokyo Olympics. So to discuss this topic further, we are joined now by journalist Brittany Delacreta and professional triathlete Rach McBride. All right, so Brittany, let's start by Backing up just a little bit here, while sports are currently arranged on a binary, so men on one side, women on the other, society as a whole isn't reflected by that. Can you explain how sports are falling short right now? Sure. I think sports have been, you know, organized this way, men's sports and women's sports, for a really long time. And I think at this point, people sort of assume it's the easiest uh way to organize sports, but it's not the only way. And as we see this year at the games, uh, we have two non-binary athletes, Alana Smith, who competed in skateboarding and Quinn, who is on the Canadian women's national soccer team. They're competing, uh, but there's no category for them. And so they have to kind of pick the category that feels safest and most welcoming to them. Rach, can you talk about your experience as a non-binary athlete competing in women's triathlon? And to follow up on what Brittany said, just what challenges have you encountered? Yeah, I've always felt, um, you know, stepping up to a start line a little bit odd, a little bit out of place. And to be sort of blanketed in the space of uh, women at the start line or ladies those terms don't, that's not how I identify. And so it made me feel a bit of a, a significantly like an outsider. And, um, you know, the idea now of the possibility of having a, a different category for non-binary athletes to compete in, I think is a really exciting possibility. See, this is the part where inclusion 
is so important, especially as we talk about these games and how people identify. Now, Brittany, there is actually a long history of sex testing and regulation in sports. It's something most folks do not talk about or even know about. Can you explain what athletes are currently subjected to when it comes to these regulations? Sure. And I will note that these mostly affect people who are looking to compete in the women's category. And so the idea of womanhood is being policed by these regulations and they often disproportionately impact black and brown athletes. And we've seen that at these games too. Uh, these, the sex testing, you know, has over the years included things like intrusive genital exams, chromosomal testing, things like that. Currently, uh, it focuses on testosterone levels as like the one true indicator of athletic performance. And there's not really science that backs that up. But in order for athletes to compete uh, in the Olympics, the IOC requires testosterone levels under a certain amount. And that's both for uh, trans athletes and cis athletes as well. Wow. As you know, so often the argument against including transgender women is built upon the narrative of protecting or we hear saving women's sports. I want to hear what both of you say, what your response is when you hear that argument. Yeah, I think that it is born in a, in a place of, um, you know, of questioning performance for women. So... Uh, you know, understanding that, yeah, when we see men excelling at sports and they are celebrated as um, incredible athletes, and when we see women who are excelling in sports, it's questioned. Um, and so I think there's a real discrepancy between how we see performance based on um, men and women. And for me, I think it's really ironic to say that we're going to protect women's sports by actually putting women in harm's way, women and girls, and requiring this kind of intrusive testing and policing who's allowed to be women. And in the case of transgender women, who are really the most marginalized women, um, instead of kind of, you know, centering in them when we talk about their ability to compete. Instead, we kind of dehumanize them by focusing on their biology and, and hormones, and we reduce them to that instead of their, their personhood. Um, and, and that's something that I think can, is really harmful. We focus instead on how cisgender people feel about trans women competing mm -hmm. rather than how trans women feel about being excluded and not being able to have the same opportunities. You know, dehumanize is the exact word I had in my mind before you say it. And I think it's something we've talked about this week as well, how culturally folks think they have an ownership um, over women in particular and how they use their bodies and how they identify. And it's incredibly um, just really frustrating, disheartening. Um, makes me a little sick to my stomach in that breath as well. Uh, now, Rach, in terms of athletes who identify as non-binary, what changes could be made to help them feel more included, even if the current men's sports and women's sports structure stays the same? You know, I think the biggest thing for me in competing um, is the understanding that that everyone standing up at stepping up at a start line that does not necessarily, um, uh, you know, use the same pronouns that there are people of all different identities who are no matter, you know, which, uh, what start line you're stepping up to, 
either a men's or a women's, uh, as is the case right now, the only option. And, and recognizing, and so, you know, paying attention to language, I think is huge because that's one of the ways that I feel most validated um, in terms of my own identity is the language piece. So pronouns and, um, and gender and not being included in um, uh, with gendered language. I think also the idea of creating uh, other categories. So creating a non-binary category or an all genders category that is, it's a lot easier to do, of course, at the grassroots level at amateur sports, um, because there is not that sort of higher level of competition. It's more about participation and inclusion. And I think that's the first step really to changing how we see sport um, and encouraging more inclusion of people of all different gender identities in sport. And Rach, besides the pronoun topic that you just raised, do you feel included when you are out there to compete? Are there other challenges that you that, that occur during that time? I, um, you know, one of the things that has occurred for me while in competition uh, is is consistently being misgendered. So this, uh, you know, I was in a race once where I was basically misgendered about a hundred times and to have that, you know, sort of while I'm competing to, you know, I hear these things and it, to have those little um, pinpricks, it's another thing to have to deal with when I'm out there trying to compete at my best. And so, um, yeah, it is something that, uh, I've really struggled with and it takes a lot of energy and I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I have to show up to a start line with that extra energy. Mm-hmm. So you're at, so that's the mental aspect of it as well that we've been talking about so much in these games. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I think it's a matter of respect as well, just respecting that these are your pronouns, that the, respecting who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that perspective, definitely. Now, for both of you here, and I'll start with you, Brittany, at the Tokyo Olympics, there are more out LGBTQ athletes than ever before. Plus, like we mentioned, at least three trans and non-binary athletes. What type of impact do you think that this will have for other athletes moving forward? I think it's a huge deal to be able to see, you know, queer and trans athletes competing. And, you know, we saw Tom Daly win gold um, in synchronized diving and he's an openly gay man. And I think that that just helps so much. I think what I really saw, I want to talk about Alana Smith, the non-binary skateboarder, who I think their narrative has been a little bit overshadowed by them getting misgendered on some of the broadcasts. But the pure, like, trans joy emanating from them as they competed on the biggest stage in sports with their pronouns on the grip tape of their skateboard. What they did for representation of non-binary community, not just in sports, but like in general cannot be understated. And so the fact that they are out there just having, just expressing so much joy being who they are and showing that there's a place for them on the Olympic stage is just a really big deal. And, And I think that Uh, You know, I don't want to lose that when we talk about some of the other things that that come with trans inclusion. That's a great point. So, Rach and Brittany, this is clearly a very nuanced, very detailed um, conversation. So I I want to pass the mic 
in a sense here, open open the floor for you to hit on a on a couple of more areas that are really important to you to express. This is the whole point of On Her Turf, right? To be able to use the platform for this. So Brittany, I'll, I'll hand it off to you here. Yeah, I think the fact that there even had to be a press conference to address Laurel Hubbard's participation is really important. It wasn't you know, a, a news conference to just celebrate this milestone. It was to address people's fear uh, and to combat misinformation about Laurel's participation. And I think there's a lot of misinformation that uh, makes people think that trans women are going to be dominating sports. Trans women have been allowed to compete at the Olympics since 2003. And Laurel Hubbard is the first and she's the only one. There is Chelsea Wolf is an alternate uh, for the United States BMX uh, freestyle team. And so she's there as well. And I want to celebrate her for that because that's a really big deal. But there's so much fear of the unknown um, and that trans women are somehow going to dominate. Not only is that not happening, but also it kind of goes in line with uh, that there's sometimes this celebration of trans athletes until they win, until they're successful. And then, then they become threatening. And um, I think that's really problematic. Rach, do you feel that? Yeah, I feel, I mean, I see that in competition. I see that of there are a number of athletes, uh, trans athletes competing, um, especially in an amateur level, at least in my community. And it's never an issue until you see them on the podium, until you see them, um, su successful in sport and then it's questioned. And I think that, you know, the, the, the hurdles and the hoops that trans athletes have to go through in order to just compete and the extra stress is just, it's, it's incredible. And the fact that, um, those athletes are out there is just a really, I, I have, um, it's so inspiring really to see them competing and it inspires me to continue doing the, you know, being out there as I am as well. And I really think that in terms of inclusion, we really are in a place of, of it's better to err on the side of inclusion than exclusion. And um, that it's everyone's right to participate in sport and we should be creating a welcome and opening, uh, a welcome and open environment for that. How do you erase that fear? What do you guys think? I mean, most people don't know an openly trans person. And I think there's just a lot of fear of people who are different, fear of what we don't know. And, um, you know, we've talked about the importance of visibility and these athletes on the stage. And I think that this is a really good step towards that. But also these aren't just, they're patterns that have, existed throughout history. When we look at why sports are segregated by sex in the first place, often sports were integrated. And then when a woman won the next year, you would see uh, women banned from that competition and a new women's category introduced. So this is something that sports have been dealing with for a long time. And right now it's, it's focused on transgender athletes. Part of the undertone there, I think is, is folks immediately freak out if there's a change to their status quo of what they've known to be the norm for so long and of something that may challenge their place in what they perceive to be a hierarchy of sorts. Um, you, when you were speaking earlier about the inclusion part, right, of the importance of the respect for pronouns, I'd like to expand on that a little bit because a lot of times when I hear the very few conversations that I have, what I hear is folks saying, oh, 
another pronoun or, oh, I have to keep this in mind for this person or I'm sorry that it's an inconvenience to you to, you know, refer to somebody by their proper pronoun. Um, what is your response when, when you hear things like that? And, and I guess what is, the, what is the best way for someone who is actively trying to be more inclusive um, to, to really get into the habit of using the proper pronouns for someone? Rachel, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think that it's really just about being of being of acceptance and tolerance. So it's it's about respect for each individual and it's like I I respect you and who you are, how you identify using your correct pronouns. I just expect the same. Right. And everyone deserves to be respected for who they are as a human being. Um it may take a little bit of more energy. Yes, because it's different now. Um, and I think that we see, you know, we see youth now, there is a significantly higher proportion of youth who are identifying as non-binary or outside the binary. And so for this, these generations coming up, it's not a big deal. And so it's kind of, it feels like a bit of a changing of the guard in a way of, of we're just in this place of transition really, and that we're moving into a world that is more um, open and accepting and understanding. And I think a lot of that has to do with this fear, with a fear of the unknown, with a fear of, oh, I don't know anybody like this. And as soon as you have then some interaction and you learn more about that and you see more athletes out there and more people who are just being their authentic selves, it's inspiring, of course, for everyone to be their most authentic selves. But it also, um, we're learning, you know, I'm learning about all the different ways that folks can identify and ways that can live their life. And it is something I think should be celebrated because we are all as humans unique and uh, that's just incredible. Great, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that it's okay to mess up. I sometimes mess up my own pronouns. Like I just want to give blanket permission to make mistakes. <laughs> right. And it's about what to do when the mistake is made. You just you correct it and you try to get it right the next time. If people are really struggling with it, you can practice with a friend like role play. I don't know. I would tell cis people that they use pronouns every day and that they also have pronouns, you know, pronouns you learn in English class. So these are, they're part of everyday conversation. When someone that you don't know leaves a jacket at your house, you're like, Oh, somebody left their jacket here. So we can use the singular they it's been in use for centuries. It's in the dictionary. These are things, it's not as new as um, some people try to make it out to be, but it is different for some people who are not used to it and it just takes practice, but it gets easier the more you do it. How do you prefer that if someone does slip up, and I believe I did that when I was laughing and joking with you about your wallpaper, what would you like them to then say? What, what would be the best avenue there? Yeah, I think to just you know, say if, if someone uses she for me to just kind of pivot and say they, um, and just make that correction. It doesn't have to be a big deal. There doesn't have to be a, a huge mm -hmm. apology. It doesn't, it, we can just like move on because yep. it happens in the same way that you might misspeak on a broadcast about anything because you're talking live and sometimes you misspeak. You just kind of keep going. I think the fear for so many folks of messing up the whole point of all of this is that we're all human. We're all learning and growing together. And with the undertone of respect for each person, that's it. 
we're all going to keep moving forward. All right. So to both of you, uh, we just want to thank you, Brittany and Rach, for sharing these perspectives with us um, and and for continuing this conversation and using uh, your platforms uh, in such an intentional and purposeful way. All right. On Her Turf at the Olympics. We'll be right back. Welcome back to On Her Turf at the Olympics. So many firsts at these Tokyo Olympics and a great reminder too that for so many athletes, there's so much to be proud of in reaching, just reaching the Olympic stage. Lindsay, that is especially true for members of the Olympic refugee team. 10 women are competing as part of that team in Tokyo. Let's get to know one of them. Hi everyone, I'm Yusra Mardini. I'm 23 years old. I am an Olympic swimmer and I represent the Refugee Olympic team. I started swimming when I was only three years old. I actually didn't really choose to be a swimmer. My father and my uncles were all swimmers and decided that I'm gonna be a swimmer. At 15, I went to my first uh, world championship. It was a great experience and uh, yeah, there I kind of realized that uh, I'm swimming well, I am uh, breaking lots of records, Syrian records and so on, and uh, I uh, realized that I want to do more, I want to go to the Olympic Games. Also when I was 15 the war started and uh, we had to leave our house and after a while, after a few years of the war, uh, our house was torn apart and uh, I basically lost everything. You're just living day by day hoping you'll still be alive the next day. In 2015, lots of people started leaving Syria illegally and uh, me and my sister went to my dad and mom with the idea. They refused it in the beginning. And my dad was joking, saying, ah, find someone I can trust, I will send you with them. And then we found his cousin. I was scared of the journey, but I didn't know what's coming. So I didn't know what to be scared of. I knew that the, the sea journey is going to be really tough. I knew that I might lose my life. After 25 days, we crossed almost six or seven countries illegally. It took me two years to start a new life. I didn't know the language, I didn't know anyone. It, it was tough, but also it was easy because of sport. To be honest, I'm very proud of who I am and uh, I am very proud of being a refugee. Uh, the journeys we take are not easy and uh, overcoming them and being an athlete here today, again at the Olympic Games, I. Uh, I, to be honest, uh, achieved something that is very unique and I'm very proud of it. I mean, just the Aww. grace that she has. She said, I knew I might lose my life. I know. That level of resilience, incredible. All right, what a journey. 
Margini has. Yes, what a journey. And speaking of journey, we're so sad. I know. You're leaving. My Bye. Olympic journey now comes to an end. <laughs> no, but listen, I, look, I've known you. I've known of your work for years, right? But that getting to work with you, I'm a crier. I'm not going to cry. Lindsay, don't. No, but listen, it's been so great because I've only known you for like a little over a week and I feel like we worked together for 10 years. It did. It's been 84 years since we started the show. <laughs> it has been um, yes. the highlight of my career. It really has. The stories we've gotten to tell yeah. have been amazing. Lindsay, thank you, Kevin. We're bonded forever. Thank Thank you, Kevin, the crew, and all of our incredible producers, Alex and Lisa and Lena and everyone working behind the scenes. You have made this just so memorable. I'll never forget this. Same here. We love you, girl, and go crush it. Okay. All All right, that is it for today. Be sure to follow On Her Turf on Instagram and on Twitter. Yes, and check out the On Her Turf podcast for conversations just like the one you heard today. Until tomorrow, good night. This podcast is presented by NordaTrack from iFit.